So it is your side for uh, Daniel Malka's father, Gadi Ben Israel. We'll say this shiur li'ilui nishmato. All right. Um, I'm going to screen share the text. Well, I, it, we're almost done with the uh, with the hakadama. Um, so I'm going to back go back a bit, just so that we know where we're in, and we are basically just finishing here with Harambam talking about the close of the Gemara. And he says, uh, and he's pulling this straight from the Gemara, because the Gemara says, Ravina him sof right? That Ravina were the end of the period of giving over Torah from the, you know, the Ma'atikir Shmua. I'm, I'm, forgive me for those who are here for the first time. I'm continuing based on things that we've said in the previous parts of the series, essentially. So forgive me if I'm not explaining in the most detail. But, um, um, I'm happy to answer questions, perhaps at the end, if you like. Um, so look at 29, right? Ravina Ravashe who closed the Talmud essentially, and their friends. They are the ends of the great Hachamim of Israel, and I explained what that meant last time. That were copying, right? That were transmitting from one to the next. The, the word Ma'atik literally means to trans to to uh, to uh, transport, literally. We find that with uh, Avraham Avinu, Vayatik Misham, it says. Right? He went from one place to the other. So they are the ones who they take the Torah and transport it from one generation to the other. Remember that we established in a, a few times back, right, that the Torah is a unique thing, as opposed to what Harambam called Gemara. And what we said was that the Torah Shabbat is finite. There is a very clear corpus that we refer to as Torah Shabbat, just as there is a very clear corpus that we refer to as Torah Shabbat. And then there is the elucidation, elaboration, creativity, insights, chidush, and so on, that, we, that the Rambam uh, puts under the category of Gemara. So here Rambam is talking about Torah Shabbat specifically, which is finite. If you're, if you ha- weren't there for it, we've recorded the classes. You can go back and, and hear those classes. That's going to be important moving forward. When the hachamim made decrees, established um, uh, these these particular uh, co- co- uh, behaviors and and ways of of, of doing things, in higumin hagot they have they have customs that they established. And the takanot and the gezerot and the minhagot that they established spread to, and I cannot stress the importance of this enough, kol Israel, the entirety of the Jewish nation, right? the entirety of the Jewish people. Bechol mekomot moshbotehem, everywhere they were. So that is important because the Rambam is going to use that and he's going to come back to that more than once, to establish the authority of the Gemara. Because remember, the last bit Dina Gadol we had was when? Who remembers? I mean, I don't expect everybody to remember, but I'm asking. When, when was the last bit Dina Gadol, according to the Rambam? The last, the last Sanhedrin. Sorry, I didn't hear. No. When's the last one? Rabbi Yudha Nasi. 
he says that the last Bedina Gadol that we have official is Rabbi Uda Nasi. After that, there's Batedin, but not a Bedina Gadol. And so the Mishnah, according to Rambam, becomes the source text for Torah Shabbat Peh. And only the texts that are connected to the Mishnah, around the Mishnah, authoritative in connection to the Mishnah, and we're going to see that as far as Rambam is concerned, there are only five. There are only five works that can officially be considered Torah Shabbat Peh, but the Mishnah is the last Bedina Gadol. So all of the developments on that will have to be questioned whether they come into Torah Shabbat Peh officially or don't come into Torah Shabbat Peh officially. But it seems pretty clear that Harambam understands the authority of the Gemara, which would question if that's the case, that the Mishnah is the last Bedina Gadol, then what's the authority of the Gemara? To be able to be binding on us in the manner that we understand it to be. And Harambam essentially says the reason why the Gemara is binding is not because it was a Bedina Gadol, but because it was Kol Yisrael. And because it was mitpashet b'chol Yisrael, it has the authority in its binding nature halachically on us. There are differences. There are differences in the authority of the Talmud and the authority of the Mishnah and our requirements to them, which we may or may not get into tonight. We'll see. But there are differences. Subtle differences, but differences that are important nonetheless. So he continues, right? It's b'chol mokomot moshvotehem. Now, it's not just that the, it spread to all of the places. The ones who established it were also kol or rov, he says, hachmei Yisrael. So here, I think he says it up here. Now, we'll see it as we go along. I won't take time for this. Okay. Right? After the Bedin of Rav Asher, so now he's taking this, that strand of Kol Yisrael, and he's showing that the nature of Torah Shabbat Penit's transmission ceases because of the dispersion, right? So, they spread out. Among all the, the lands, Pizur Yater, further, you know, uh, diaspora. They got to the far lands, far off islands that were way away from their home. And there was a lot of strife in the world, right? So the world was not settled. There was a lot going on. The world was all over the place. And the actual pathways of travel were obstructed as a result of it. We read this last time, I'm just reviewing, right? The study of the Torah in its centralized nature went away. It fell apart. Where am I? Oof. Yeah. Oh gosh, how, did, how far did I jump? Okay. Ken. Oof. 
כן, בדברת ישראל ושבותיהם אלפים רבות שמות שהיו. אלא מתקבצים יחידים. So what ended up happening? You had isolations of massive groups of Israel were now isolated and on their own. So יחידים משרידים אשר השם קורא, in each place there were special people, you know, very intelligent people, people that were very spiritually motivated and they studied Torah. בכל העברים in every city, you know, בכל מדינה מדינה and in each country, ועוסקים בתורה. And they would study to try and understand the chiburim of the hachamim. And they would try to understand the nature of mishpat. What's the law? Based on what it is that we have in our hands. Now, this is very important. Every bedin that came up after the Talmud, and every country, and established decrees, or, uh, you know, constructs of behavior, or minhag, to their own country, or to various countries that might have been around them, the key there is, lo pashtu ma'asav b'chol Yisrael. It just didn't spread. This is why, by the way, I just want to take a pause, because somebody was asking me about this earlier in the week. You know, they're asking, like, why should we care about these minhagim that the entirety of Am Yisrael does? You know, if we don't find that there's source for it necessarily in the Rishonim, or we don't find that there's source for it in Talmud or something of that nature. And what I always say, because it's not the first time I've heard that question, I've heard that question many times. What I always say, if there's a minhag that has spread to the entirety of the Jewish people, you better bow your head in reverence to that minhag, because it is the rarest of things. It's the rarest of things. We don't agree on anything. And you have minhagim that spread to the entirety of Israel, like, for example, Simchat Torah. What kind of craziness is Simchat Torah? Who said Simchat Torah should be a thing, ever? The contrary. The Hachamim, when Simchat Torah came out, they all, all the Hachamim wanted to stop Simchat Torah because they thought it was a disaster. And all of a sudden, like, there's one or two people that want to be smart and say, we never did this. Okay, Chazak Baruch, we never did this. Now we do. And if you have something that spread to the entirety of Klal Israel, do not take it lightly, because things like that do not happen by accident. They don't just, they don't just happen, you know, as fluke. And so you have to- What if you, what if you get a really stupid minhag? Who said it's stupid? No, no, I'm talking about that one. There it doesn't are... matter. Who said it was dreidel? Yeah. Who said it's stupid? Well, it's gambling. I'm not saying the dreidel game. I'm saying the fact that we spin dreidels on Hanukkah, it's German tops. Why should yeah. we have no, I'm thinking, no. There are stupider things than that. that it's not stupid. Okay. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not stupid. Don't Yeah, but I wasn't talking about that. There are stupid things. Right, go, which one? Go ahead. I don't know. Uh, uh, what's it called? Schlissel challah. That is not something that the entirety of Klal Yisrael does, Daniel Jonas. It isn't now. No, it's it? not. No, it's not strong. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. If it is something that genuinely will take across the gamut, then I will shut up about it. I'm not kidding. I really will. I don't believe it will. I don't think that it has the capacity to do that. But if that's something that spreads like that, then I will shut up about it. It's not stupid anymore. That's what I'm trying to say. If the entirety of the Jewish people across the spectrum do something, it's not stupid anymore. Kaparot? What is it? Kaparot. 
They don't not, it's not across the spectrum. Spanish and Portuguese never did it. There's plenty of Jews that don't do it. Plenty. But taking your argument that it's, it's spread around now with like the internet and stuff like that. When but people around, don't it? end up doing it. That's what I'm trying to say. It but could I think be a very great, a very great number of people. But there is definitely people that just don't hold from it. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying if you have something that organically spread across the entire Jewish nation and everyone does it, that is not something you should take lightly. You have yet to tell me one. I haven't heard from you one aside from what I'm saying, but it's Rabbi, not I think none of them, none of them are universally accepted. It's, it's not always going to be. I'm not talking about individuals. I'm saying groups of people, right? Communities across the board. You will not find a community unless maybe you go to the Jews, the, you know, the old Jews of China or something that have been separate from the rest of the people for their entire existence. Yeah. You will not find a people that don't recognize Simchat Torah as a thing. As a Mo'ed in Israel, you will not find it anymore. There was a time very not long ago, less than 500 years ago, and nobody didn't know what the heck it was. You understand how absurd that is? How crazy that something like that should spread organically throughout the entire nation? It's nuts. Nuts. So who is to determine whether when something has reached that point? Though? When it does. Yeah, but how's it, it measured? Either does or it doesn't, Daniel. I mean, you can't have one. No, no, no. It, uh, it, it, I'll accept that it does. If you can measure how it does, you can't measure how. I don't need to measure. All I need to do is say, can you go to every every Jewish community across? That's the world a measure. And... Okay, but that's that's just uh, empirical. You look at it and you see it is. It's all over the place. What do you want to do? It doesn't take much to realize that. Black mm. hats. What is it? Black hats. Oh, that, are you that, kidding me, uh, Joseph Cohen? Are you nuts? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Stop it. I don't understand. How clear do I need to be? Who, I wear a black hat. My community wears a black hat. Do you, your, the entire uh, Datilo Mi world wear black hats? What are you talking about? I said the entire Jewish people. For goodness sake. But Rabbi, there's no denying that sometimes the entire Jewish people also make a mistake. What? There's, I'm saying that there's no, I, I don't think we can deny the fact that sometimes the whole Jewish people have made mistakes together. Give me, give me an example. For instance, for the golden cup. The, gold, the, gold, the golden cup was most of the Jewish people. Listen to me. Ho, ho, ho. Listen. Why don't I even call you? We're all zooming it out. Asaf, you need a mute. I'm not talking about the Jewish people. I'm talking about the I'm not talking about when the Jewish people are all in one place. I'm talking about the exact opposite. I'm saying that after B'nai Israel were mitpazer all over the globe, and something happens after they're mitpazer all over the globe that they all accept and hold, that's special. There's something very special and, and unique about it. I also think that nowadays we are a lot more sheep than back in the day. Like back no, in the not. day when they were in no, the Sinai. Not. No, oh, what do you mean? The entire world fell fell hook, line, and sinker for Shabtai Tzvi. They were not sheep? Yeah, they were, exactly. Okay, would you think that there was that's ever a time where people no. were not sheep? No, it, it, that's my point. It's always like that. So it could be that the whole Klal Israel accepted something because we're just sheep. It doesn't, doesn't matter. If mean it that it's what I'm trying, I don't know. You guys are not hearing what I'm saying. How fascinating. What I'm, what I'm, what I'm, 
what I'm trying to say, let me try and clarify what I'm saying again. I'm saying if there is a phenomenon where the entire Jewish people, as they are situated across the globe, adopt a custom that happens organically, right? Not by force, it happens organically. It is something that is noteworthy and is not to be dismissed lightly. That's all I'm saying. It's important to recognize how rare it is. And if, and I'm talking even from a theological standpoint, unabashedly, if there is something like that that happens throughout all of Klal Israel, the Am as a whole does not accept things en masse lightly. The Jewish people just don't do it lightly. It doesn't matter that it happened because they're sheep. There's a hundred things that we do because we're sheep that has not spread through the entire nation. But there are some things that have. Rare things, very few things. You can count them on one hand, probably. Kal Nidre. It's nuts. From where? From where? Where, where, where the heck all of a sudden Kal Nidre should have any connection at all to Yom Kippur? Everybody does it. So that's what I'm saying. I don't want to waste class time on that. You can disagree with me. You are absolutely free to disagree with me by all means. I'm not forcing my, my opinion down your throat in any, in any way, shape, or form. I'm just calling your attention to it, and you can contemplate it if you wish. But that's my, that's my, that's my feeling and my thought. So given that, lo pashtu Israel. The Batedin simply did not have the ability to spread throughout all of Israel. And because there were geographical limitations, and that Bedin, they're singular Bedin. They don't represent the whole of Am Israel, any Bedin, anywhere. And the Bedin Agadol was nullified many years before the Talmud was even authored. Therefore, we do not force the Jews of Venice to follow the customs of the Jews of England. They have absolutely no requirement to do so. The customs, the laws, the except, no requirement to do so whatsoever. We do not force one Beddin to accept the terms of another Beddin, the, the decrees of another Beddin at all. Now, this is very interesting because this is unique. It was unique in the world for many, many years until now. Okay. Not only that, if one of the Geonim, and the Rambam is going to explain who a Gaon is in a second, right? But if one of the Geonim, essentially the Achamim, come after the close of the Talmud, they say that the nature of judgment should be this way. Meaning, what does it mean, judgment? Halacha should be like this. If one of the Geonim, they study the Talmud, and their establishment of the Talmud for a unique case say that the judgment should be like this, and another Betin that comes after that Gaon, or another Hacham that comes after the Gaon, says, no, I think the Gemara means something else. We have no requirement to listen to the first guy. We follow whoever it is that we believe we should follow. We know whatever our Da'at tells us, which tells you something. Nobody's under obligation to listen to any particular posek nowadays. You can choose the posek that you wish to follow, but there's nothing externally binding on anybody to follow any particular posek. 
Not to mention the fact, even if you do hear a particular posek that you follow and, 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 and recognize and accept, and another posek comes after him, and he rules differently than that previous one, and you find it to be more in line with what's going on and uh, developed, obviously it needs to be a, an informed awareness and decision and understanding. There has to be a hacham who's assessing it, because you can't have an ignoramus assess the words of a hacham appropriately. They don't know what the heck they're talking about. You don't have to follow the first guy. Follow the last guy. You follow whichever one you think is more not- is more appropriate. Ben Rishon, Ben Aharon, as the Rambam says. So I hear a psak of Hacham of Adya, I think is great, wonderful, appropriate. My son hears a psak of Hacham and then he hears a psak of Rav Asher Weiss, and he thinks that the Rav Asher Weiss had a broader understanding, had the more into consideration, so on and so forth. He has every right in the world to follow Rav Asher Weiss. There's no external determinations on that. Again, it has to be uh, an informed decision and understanding. These are not laws for Amiharis. Udvarim alalu, all of these things, bedinim, gzerov, takanod, minagoshin, hachua, harhibura, talmud. This, what I just said, says Arambam, this applies to all of these elements that come after the Talmud. Aval kol advarim sheba Talmud ababli. But everything that is mentioned in the Talmud, Hayavin kol bet Yisrael lalechet bahim. The entire house of Israel must follow. And we are kofe. We force them. Kofin kol ir vair v'chol midam v'nehal v'nehal v'chol v'nehagot sh'nehagu achamim sh'ba Talmud. We force the Jews across the globe to follow the Talmud. Whatever, however it is that we can force them. Right? It used to be much easier to force people. We accept, we expect people to accept their decrees and their takanot, right? Their statutes. The reason being, of course, and this is key, not because they were the Bedina Gadol. Notice what Harambam says. Because because all the stuff that's recorded in the Talmud, the entire Jewish people accepted. Not only that, but the rabbis themselves who established it, or decreed, or established a minhag, or established a particular deen, or halakha in the Talmud, the reason, the way it happened was, it was him, kol hachmei Yisrael or ruban. The hachamim was there was also either the entirety, the entire corpus of hachamim of Israel or the majority. And so Arambam is saying something fascinating over here. He's saying, that when the whole of Israel accepts something and the whole of the Hachamim establish something, it's binding. We have no authority to, to, to not follow it. These are these people in the Gemara, they heard the Kabbalah. As Harambam spent all that time before delineating. Yeah? Now all the Hachamim that came after the Talmud and started to build upon it, right? Whatever they had. They became very well known because of their scholarship. We call those guys Geonim. That's who we mean when we refer to the Geonim. That's what Gaon means, right? They're famous. Gaon is well known. There were geonim all over. There were geonim in Eretz Israel. 
Eretz Shinar, which is, you know, Bavil, Iraq, Bisfarad in Spain, Bitsorfat in France. Limdu Derech Talmud, they all based their scholarship on the Talmud. They understood the path or the way of the Talmud. And they brought to light all of its, all of its uh, elements that were concealed. And they explained its different elements. Why? Because the way of the Talmud is quite deep. It's not easy reading by any means. It's not an open book. I mean, you know, remember, these Geonim were very likely reading the Talmud, not necessarily with Rashi, even though Rashi came very, very early on. It wasn't prevalent in everybody's hands. You know, you didn't open a, sha, a Vilna Shas in these days. You were reading the Talmud from scrolls. Maybe you had the special scroll of Rashi, which is why Tosafot always refers to it as the Kuntris, right? The Kuntris is the scroll, the, the treatise of Rashi. We're spoiled. Yeah? It's very deep. Not to mention, it's not just that the thinking is deep and the nature of its presentation is difficult to get. The language is off. I mean, you know, it's, it's in Aramaic. Who speaks Aramaic anymore, says the Rambam? Nobody knows what the, that language. At the time of uh, it's not just Aramaic. There's plenty of Greek in there. Persian words are in there. Ancient Persian words are in there. All, a whole bunch of different stuff is in there. Latin, yeah. Aramaic was known to everybody in that region, in Bavel, at the time the Talmud was established. So they established, they wrote it in the vernacular, which is astonishing. But in all the other places, and even in Bavel, during the days of the Geonim, and no one was speaking Aramaic anymore. You had to actually learn it in order to be able to understand the Gemara in the first place. So it was a closed book. It was impossible to understand. And what ended up happening was there was a whole era of questions being sent to the scholars because people find, okay, so Talmud or whatever it is that you have, but there was a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't dealt with, a whole bunch of stuff people didn't know. And so they would just send questions to the scholars. And that's where you get the Shailot or Chuvot, right? Questions and answers, what we call the responsa. And tons of questions were sent in every city to the Geonim, wherever they were. Because they would study the Talmud, the people. They had a whole bunch of questions about what the Talmud meant, and they'd ask questions to the Geonim. The Geonim would answer, however it is that they understood. What does it mean, Kefi Chochmatam? It's very important, that line. Kefi Chochmatam. Why does Arambam say that? Why did you just say? Why did you just say they answer them as they under, as they understood, because there wasn't this uniform authority. There may be harder, greater scholars, weaker scholars, scholars that were experts in one particular area of law, experts scholars or experts in a different area of law. It was very, very individualized, very specific. And the people who asked the questions, they would gather the answers as much as they could. You know, you see Arambam, when people would ask him questions, he would write back the answer on the back of the paper that came with the question because he couldn't find paper. He didn't have, you know, I'm not going to waste paper with a whole new answer. He would just write it on the back and send it back to them. So the only answer we have is was sent away to the guy. You know, Arambam didn't keep copies of his answers. If he had anything, it was whatever he did end up keeping was thrown into the Geniza. And then they would, they would author books in order to be able to understand them. 
גם חיברו הגאונים שבכל דור ודור, every generation, הגאונים themselves wrote books on specific elements of law, because they were experts in specific, they were specialists in specific areas, and they would explain the Talmud. Some of them would deal with specific areas of law. Some of them would deal with particular chapters. That in that days, in those days, they had difficulty with. There were some people that would explain a particular masechet, or even a whole seder. Very, very rarely did you have a full perush of the entire Talmud by anyone. That, that didn't happen, right? Very rarely. I had the reef. They also wrote halachot, you know, mutar to do this, asur to do this. They would write books like that. In what? They would write things that were pertinent to the time, that were required at the time. All of this, all of it, the responsa, the writing of halachot, the, 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 the uh, you know, teaching of particular issues, were all to explain the Talmud. That was it. It was just to understand the source text. And the source text was an enigma. And so the Achamim had the responsibility of opening up the enigma. That was what they did. They would know how to understand the depths of the That was the work of God that all the Geonei Israel worked on in that time. From the day that the Talmud was authored until today, says the Rambam. That's what's been going on. <laughs> it's the eighth year after 1,100, I can't say confidently why. I think that they wrote in the vernacular because the language was more nuanced. And so it was much richer in order for them to be able to speak what it was that they needed to speak. And that's why they don't even suffice with the Aramaic. They bring in Greek, they bring in Persian, they bring in Latin, bring in all different, all different languages. And they do that in order to be able to get their points across, to be able to, to, be able to give the, the nuance that was essential to them in the Talmud. It's very different than the Mishnah. The Mishnah is frugal and succinct and economy. And it needs to be, you know, they wanted it to come out in Lashon HaKodesh. It'll be with that as you want in Lashon HaKodesh. But Lashon HaKodesh is a very poor language. Very poor. 
I don't mean poor in quality. I mean poor in words. It's it's it doesn't have. I mean, the Torah, the Torah gets this point across. Which is why, by the way, which is why in Israel today, in modern Israel today, uh, 50% of the language is English. They have no words. It's a disaster. Just yeah. going back to what Rav Shmuley was saying about minhagim. So the breast lovers have a minhag of saying tikkun klali every day because it right. can be metak and everything. Right. We, have to, we have to delineate and we have to have a cutoff point where we say this is a minhag and this is not a minhag because well, why are you bringing, you draw why the you line. Rabbi Elisha, why are you bringing that? It has nothing to do with what I was saying. No, but I'm talking, going back to minhagim. Okay. Where do you draw the line? Because you have people who came three, four hundred years after the Rambam instituted things as so-called minhagim, but they're not really minhagim. And okay, I know, but I, nonsense. I, yeah, well, you're talking about minhagim. Where do the, where, where, where is the origin of the minhag? Which is another discussion entirely. It's not for necessarily for now. I don't mean to dismiss it, Hasu Shalom. It's a very important point you're making. But the question, that's a question of what constitutes a bona fide minhag. Yes. Right? So, okay, that, that Harambam is not dealing with over here. When he says right. Minhag over here, he's assuming that it comes from the Hachamim and it's a bona fide. From the Hachamim, that's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Thank you. That's actually on the program, Rav, that, that topic. It's a massive what? topic. It's a what, massive topic. Klali? No. <laughs> <laughs> no that, that's when you know we've really, we've really lost the plot. <laughs> We're doing that. Yeah. Rob, I'm not sure if you clarified this I'm point. Looking, yeah, who's Ellie Shabi? Who's Ellie Shabi? How do I say your last name? He's Shaubi. a very special new member. Shaubi. Shaubi. I'm reading your comments over here. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Nachon. Nachon. Hamakom Gorem. Yeah. Rob, I'm not sure if you clarified this, but I still, I, I'm not entirely sure I understand why the Gemara was seen to be. Uh, like the final kind of piece that everyone agreed on because even in the Gemara, I mean, there were it, there are stories where half the communities disagreed and didn't go with the consensus over there. So why is it that we kind of say, oh yeah, the Gemara was kind of final and, and we all kind of agree with it, especially also you've got the Karaites who never agreed with it. So the right. whole of Klali style never agreed with it. So why, why is it binding? Right. I, I think that, well, I mean, the, the, the Karaites never accepted the system itself. Forget about the Gemara. They didn't, they didn't accept the system of Torah Shabbat at all mm. itself. So we didn't recognize them from then as part of Klal Yisrael. Whenever it was, you know, that you want to look at it historically. I'm no, I'm no historical expert, so I don't... When you say the system, surely the system... The, the system of Torah, the acceptance that Torah Shabbat is a thing, that it's part of Torah, that it's, a, it's, 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 it's part of the nature of, of what we call Torah. Right. Okay. No acceptance, so that's not Shaykh. But surely that that point is only a point because we believe in Torah Shabbat. Of course, but then you're Torah talking Shabbat about you're talking about the fundamental wiring of the enterprise. You're saying that Torah, as stated, but as stated by Torah Shabbat Alpes, so absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So how can we say that that is a uh, a universally accepted point when it wasn't? Because when I say universal. I mean, excuse me, I'll, I'll make the caveat. When I say universal, I'm talking about universal within the system that we're talking about. Right. Okay. Obviously, if you're not looking at, if you're not part of the system, then it's not shy to discuss it. Okay. No, fair enough. Yeah. Thank you for the question. 
Yoshua ben Zadon has been patiently waiting with his blue hand up or his white hand against the blue background. Up, and everybody's been coming in and asking questions. Go ahead, Yoshua. Um, yeah, so I wanted to know, where does the Rambam put the Yerushalmi on? Right there with the Talmud. You'll see, you'll see. I told you there's five texts. There are five texts. The Talmud Yerushalmi is, is right on par with the Talmud Babli. And you see the Rambam uses it all the time in his Psalm. Oad. When he says that once a goan says something, we don't necessarily have to follow him. He says, that it's, if it comes apparent to a different betin, but is that also open to individuals to disagree? He's not talking about a betin. He's talking about a betin in general that's going to be an authority, right? So like I said, individuals, it's very rare that you have, it used to be, let me, let me explain. It's a good question. We, we, we don't realize what it is the Rambam is saying because we don't live that way anymore. Until very recently, I mentioned this last time, until very recently, every city had a Betin. And the Betin was the, was the halachic authority. Or they had, you know, what they would call the Rav, you know, in his Betin. Yeah. But that's just how everybody set everything up, always. That's why I said here in, in London, the, the, the Betin is ours. Our Betin was the first Betin. When I say ours, I mean the S&P. It's a chutzpah. All of a sudden, Ashkenazim came in and they started their own Betin. Whoever said that you're allowed to do that? Maran in the Avkat Rochel, in Shilot Shubot Avkat Rochel, he says, absolutely yesur to do that. And still, at least, you know, I said, in the Gitin that they write, they, it shows that you have to be careful because in the Gitin that the Ashkenazim write in this city, they write it with the spelling of the Sfaradim because it's Minhag HaMakom. We were here 100 years before them. But the point is, is that every city had a Bedin. Today, it's so foreign to us because we just don't have anything. What's it? There's nothing centralized. Nobody cares. You got a Bedin. I'll, I'll, I'll get three people together and buy, do my own Bedin. Right? Everybody has their own Bedin. There's no authority Bechlal. There's no, we don't even know what the Rambam's talking about over here. Because our, our common re experience today is that there is no authority. And that's why, you know, you read the Rambam, he says, Kofim. We force them to follow the Talmud. Who forces you? <laughs> With what force? We don't even know what force means today anymore. How? You put people in harem. What do you mean? You take a whole city and put them in harem. And that's what they used to do. I mean, the poor Ramchal, what they did to him, you know? I mean, still, it was, a, it was possible for them to blackball a, a person across the continent. And even then, at that time, it was much weaker than it ever was before him. He just carried on, you know? I went to Amsterdam. Amsterdam, they were fine with him. They didn't care. You know, Spanish and Portuguese as usual. They, they took him on. Okay. Do you hear that? Yeah, but at the end of the day, can, can an individual, meaning even if I it's said not only to the, an individual, if you don't have the system of a bedin in a city, then yes, an individual can, if the individual knows what, what the individual is doing. I don't just mean like any individual. You have to have scholarship. You have to know what's going on. If you don't know what's going on, then of course not. That's hubris. Right. So it's based on every time whoever is regarded as the That's authority. why the Rambam talks about the Achamim Shelo that didn't come to Hora'ah, Kiramim. He writes later in Hilchot Talmud Hora. You know? Can we go uh, forward? Can we continue? 
Look, you guys, if you want to ask me questions, I don't know, maybe you're asking each other questions in this chat, but there's no way I'm reading through. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole separate discussion going on. Sorry, which is very I'm, not, exciting. I'm not looking at the chat. I can't go through all those things now. Okay. Where are we? We finished. Uh, yeah, everybody back. Let's put this back up. Right in our times, it's just impossible out there, the Rambam is saying. I mean, it's, it's just the, the, the stresses and, and, and difficulties are, are exceeding. I mean, the situation in the world now is just, it's oppressing everything and it's, and it's suppressing everything. Our, our scholars know nothing anymore. I mean, you can imagine this is the Rambam talking in his time. What will we give to be able to ask a question from 90% of the scholars of the Rambam's time? All of the people who ever understood anything is concealed. So therefore, even the things that the Geonim wrote in their times for their people, and at the time were very clear, and our days are just not understood. They're difficult to understand. Even the people who understand the Geonim today, the Rambam saying in his time, are very few. If they can't understand the Geonim, imagine the Talmud they can't understand. The Bavli, the Yerushalmi, the Sifra, the Sifre, Tosiftot. Which incidentally are the five books that the Rambam considers to be Talmud Torah, the Torah Shabbat Hava. You need a really expansive knowledge, dot, connection to these things. V'nefesh hachama, you need a really, you have to be a really intelligent guy to be able to deal with these things. And not only that, you need some time on your hands. Because even if you are massively intelligent and you have profound dot, it takes time to deal with these texts. When are you going to sit down and read the entire Talmud Yerushalmi, Talmud Babli, Sifra, Sifrin, Tosifta, and become an expert in it? And that's before Instagram and Facebook and, and all this other stuff that's distracting us all over the place. You used to have quiet days. No telephones. How are you going to not only that, not only do you have to learn them, then you have to draw law from them. Of course, it's exactly what the Rambam did. What he's saying, I mean, you know, not everybody's poised to do this. And because it's such an impossibility, and because for that reason, Torah is, is exceedingly inaccessible to us, I girded my loins. Right, the Spaniard makes a point of saying that. Makes a point of saying that. Why does he make a point of saying that? He makes a point of saying that because he held that the Torah of Sfarad was supreme in the world at the time. That there were no scholars that matched the Torah of Sfarad. And he writes it. He writes this explicitly. It's not just me reading into this. Right? And, I, and I leaned on the rock, blessed be he, which is God. And I sat to understand all those five books I just told you. Right? He doesn't say bechod hasfarim, bechod elu hasfarim. Those books. V'raiti lechaber devarim mikol elu And I thought 
that it was appropriate to author things, words, that were clear from all of those books. And the elements of what is permitted, prohibited, pure, impure, along with all the other laws of the Torah. Kulan, not only did I want to do that, I wanted it to be in clear and clean language. Lashon birura. And derch ketzara. I wanted it to be elegant. Elegant what? No cumbersome, not verbose, clean, clear. So now if I were to tell you, right? Imagine if we had somebody who went through the whole Talmud Yerushalmi, Talmud Babli, Tosefta, Sifra, Sifre, all of the difficulties of it, the, the, the intricacies of it, the, the, you know, the difficult to understand bits of it, and not only write out what comes out of it halachically, but write it out in beautiful language, in clean and elegant language, in clear presentation, you would say, wow, I mean, that's a pretty amazing work. It's not stam, gentlemen, that we hold the Rambam the way that we do. This was a super genius. This was not, this is a man that literally comes once, once, once. You can't understand. And that's, he even tells you sometimes, if you read, I highly recommend, if you have not read the, um, the Hakdamot of Harambam on the Mishnah, you know, in the various parts of the Mishnah, one of the most remarkable Hakdamot, and it's rare that people learn this Hakdamah because nobody learns the Seder, uh, the Rambam writes a Hakdamah for the Seder Taharot. I highly recommend that you learn through that. And in that, what he does is he gives the full outline and introduction, the whole framework he gives of the workings of Tuman Tara and the Torah. What the rules are, what the framework is, he goes through the entire thing. And in it, he says, you have no idea what I did for you here. He actually says it. He says, you know, I went, I took a, a piece from here and two pieces from there. And I put it together in a full framework for you and present to you. He goes, learn it by heart. Here's what he says. He says, learn it by heart. Because you have no idea what I did for you here. And he did that, by the way, at 30. He was 30 years old, maybe younger, when he did that. Nuts. It's nuts. Absolutely remarkable. It's not stam. It's not stam. You think I quote the Rambam all the time, Stam, because I have nobody else to quote? Yes, it's true. I have nobody else to quote. That's the problem, because nobody wrote what the Rambam wrote. Nobody dealt with what the Rambam dealt with. Nobody spoke the way the Rambam spoke. No one. No one. So he's unbelievable here. So he says, I did it. So that I did it what? So that the whole of the corpus of Torah Shabbat Peh, and he's talking about something very specific here. What? What comes out halachically from the Bavli, Yerushalmi, Sifra, Sifre, Tosifta. That's Torah Shabbat Peh. Everything else is Gemara, including what? The Midrash. All the rest of the Midrashim. That's Gemara. It's not halachically binding. And that's why we have a cloud. We don't take halakha from the Midrashim. We take halakha from here. So what does he do? He puts it all together. And I did it in a way, 
Below kushia, without question. Or peruk, or having anything this this disjointed. Lo zeomer bechov, zeomer chono, arguments. Just clear, straightforward law. Ela devarim, brurim, kerovim, nechonim. What does krovim mean? Close? Accessible. That's what he means. They're clear, they're accessible, they're appropriate, they're proper. And all of it, and all of it is based on these chiburim, these works, these five works that are from the days of Rabbeinu Kadosh until now. Remarkable. I did it so I did it so that all the laws of Israel should be clear to everyone. Katan, Gadol, Young, old, bedin, kol, mitzvah, u mitzvah. The laws that come from every one of the 613 mitzvot of the Torah. And all the takanot that the achamim established on that. And the nebi'im. Bottom line, says the Rambam. I made it so you do not need another book to know the laws of the Torah Shabbat Pei. This is your one-stop shop. This Hibur mekabetz le-Torah Shabbat Pei kula. Notice how particular. He doesn't say le-Torah kula, or the Gemara, or the Torah Shabbat Pei kula. A very clear, succinct, finite corpus of law. That's what he did. Ima takanot, I included in it the takanot and the menagot. Now there are parts of the anybody who studied the Mishneh Torah knows that Arambam included in that things, some things that came afterwards, and he says, Amru Hagaon Amar, or he'll write Yiraeli. It seems to me that this is the halacha. And he does that to show this particular thing that I'm saying in the name of a Gaon or in the name of Rabotai or Yiraeli, that's not Torah Shabbat Peh. It's an added element. It's part of Gemara. It's what I think the way we should do it. But he writes it to delineate it from the corpus of Torah Shabbat Peh. Right, but what you're saying that when he does that, he's basing it on, uh, on a statement by the Gaonim. Or his own. Or his own, right. Or his rabbis. But there's, many, there's several times where he says, Rabotai Pershu Vani Omer. My rabbi said this, but I say this. Hmm. He disagrees. And because it's his book, he puts it in. Like a wonderful example of this is, is uh, Hanukkah. Here, this is a nice example, right? Hanukkah. He writes, uh, he explains the sugya of lighting Hilchot Hanukkah, how he understands it should be. What are you supposed to do if you want to do the Mehadrin Mina Mehadrin version of the mitzvah? Now he says, the way to do it is you light the lights according to the numbers of the people in the house. And then each night you add one for each. So he goes, if you have 10 people in the house, you light 10 the first night, the eighth night you light 80 candles. And then he, when he writes that, he says, however, 
the custom in all of the cities of Spain is not like that. Not like I understand Harambam, I, Maimonides, understand the Torah Shabbat law of the Talmud. We, our minhag is different, and this is what we do. And he writes that as part of the halakha. This is our minhag. Why does he do that? Because he wants to show that the minhag of Sfarad is a bona fide minhag, and that they continue in their minhag. Why they're allowed to continue when he understands the Talmud this way? Another discussion. I'm just showing that as an example. Right? karati. Therefore, since this is the whole of the Torah Shabbat Peh, I'm calling this Mishneh Torah, the review of the Torah. Why? Because you read, if you want, if you want to learn the whole of Torah, Torah Torah you read the Bible and my book. And you're good. You read And when you do that, you know from it Torah Kula. You know the whole of Torah And by the way, gentlemen, this hasn't changed since the days of the Rambam because you cannot add to Torah Shabbat Peh. We don't have the mechanism to add to Torah Shabbat Peh. We don't even have a mechanism of Kol Yisrael or Kol HaChamim. Kumara is a different thing, but that's that. So if you ever ask, what should I learn? That's what you should learn. Before you learn the Gemara. That's what you should learn. Because you have a hayyuv to learn that. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't learn Gemara. Of course, Gemara, in the sense that the Rambam understands it, which is the developments and the creative elements and so on and so forth, that's part of Gemara, what we call Gemara, right? That's part of the Talmud, part of the Midrashim, it's part of all the wonderful, the Maharal, it's all part of the wonderful development, Rav Kook, all of it's beautiful, the Zohar, it's all wonderful stuff, great stuff. It's not Torah Shabbat Peh. That's all we have to know. Okay, we're going to stop here and then, uh, well, now let's finish tonight. Let's go. So the way that I've structured the book is as follows, says the Rambam. I've set it up first with halachot. Each law is clearly delineated. And it's on every subject of the Torah. And in the halachot, I group them into chapters. And the chapters I group into, uh, excuse me, the other way, from top to bottom, right? The halachot are the general uh, subjects. I then bring those subjects into chapters. I then break those chapters down into specific laws so that everything can be done al peh. You can know it by heart. It's easy to categorize in your head. So you have hilchot tshuva, that's the halakha. You have 10 prakim, each perik is broken down into laws. You remember the, which laws are in each, which perik, you're good. You can even remember how many halakhot are in each perik, wonderful. And he, he really meant this very seriously. He believed people should learn his book by heart. And he tells the student, he tells his student to be Yosef, you must learn my book by heart. Yeah, what do you want to do? No, I was just saying that this appears to be the same sort of method that he's, he said earlier. He's worried about uh, the world is going to hell and everyone's going to find it different. That, you know, there's, um, there's, it's going to be difficult to communicate things. Right. That's finding a way to 
memorize everything and make it transportable. Yep, absolutely. By the way, Daniel, that's why in the Mishneh Torah, he writes a whole Sidur. And now he doesn't write a whole Sidur, he writes a whole Sefer Torah. Yeah. So you know how to write a Sefer Torah. You follow a book, you write it with the gaps, you know, you know, he puts it all in there because he wants it to be transportable. Another thing that he does to show uh, what you, your point, when he wants to number things, because he, he says, look, you know, there are this many things for this or this many things for that. He will write at the beginning and at the end, this is the number because he was afraid that the printers would miss one. And so he would say, so if he wrote 24 and all of a sudden you've got 23, then there's something wrong. We're missing something. He was very careful with all of that because of, because of that reason. Okay. Now he goes, I want you to know when you read these halachot, the halachot may be branches of one mitzvah. Like for example, halachot teshuvah. Halachot teshuvah is one mitzvah. The whole 10 chapters of Ilchot Teshuvah are tied to one mitzvah of the Torah. Bidui. Maybe that there's many words of the Achamim on that one mitzvah. Or the Nebiim. Then there may be some halachot that have many mitzvot in it. Right? There's, there could be like Ilchot Deot. Hilchot Deot, Rambam has six different mitzvot that he includes in Hilchot Deot. I mean, mitzvot from the Torah. Yeah? He gathers them differently. He goes, why? Because I've ordered this book on conceptual groupings, subjects, not mitzvot. Right? I haven't wrote it based on mitzvah groupings. I wrote it based on subject concept groupings. And so many mitzvot are, are connected in their conceptual elements and their subject elements. And so I put them together. As you'll see when you start reading. You must know, says the Rambam, that the number of mitzvot that for all generations we recognize are 613. Why does he say that? Because what the Gemara says. That's all. Mehem mitzvot there are 248 positive commandments. A way to remember this, the numbers of the limbs of the body, whatever that is. There are some negative commandments, 365. That number of the years of the solar year, number of days of the solar year. And there you go. Okay. Any questions before we end? I think a few questions came in. Rav, I don't want to complicate things. I know we've ended well, but like the, the critique that the Ravad gives on, on this, I mean, it's quite well known, the idea of that, you know, everyone before him had given proofs and yet the, the Rambam just states the halakha and therefore it make, complicates matters because no one can come and disprove him if you don't give your reasons. Um, it's a famous question, but I'm, I'm sure there's many answers. I don't know, but I haven't uh, heard any, and maybe you could elaborate yeah, on that. question and it's a very simple answer. The Rambam believed people would trust him. Why would he lie? That's all, number one. However, what he says in a, in a Teshuvah is that he regretted not including sources, and he wanted to do it, but he was too old. And he actually, there was one point 
There's a great story. He writes a story himself. He says somebody came to him, he was old already, he was in his late 80s. And a Talmud came to him, or one of the people came to him and said, where did you get this? We haven't seen this in the Gemara. And they point out this particular, it was a Halakha and Gitim. And he said, I don't know where he got this. And he couldn't remember. And he started freaking out. He said, the Agti, like I, I, I was afraid that maybe I wrote a Halakha, that was the thing, until finally I found the source. And I wrote him where the source was. <laughs> Ah, he's the best, the Rambam. And you guys are the best. Thank you for being here tonight. Wonderful ah, to share with you. you, to learn together. So what's We've our... we had a great discussion next? in the chat as well. Uh, the oh, next well one we, we shouldn't do. have discussions in the chat in the middle of Sheer. No, they're good. They're, they're all in the... Yeah, you're lucky Sin is here because otherwise I'm much more for ferocious. Sake of heaven. <laughs> he, he evens everything out. I don't like when people have sidebar conversations in the middle of learning. No, it's, it's only to enhance, only to enhance. Is it? Is it? Um, it, is, it is. You should have a look at them, actually. Really good comments by Ellie as well. Right. Um, You'll have to It's mostly my fault. I'm sorry. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just busting chops. Busting chops. There was a question there. I think the last question by David Hazan. Why, again, did we say that Torah Shabbat does not include future works, wisdom, and commentaries? Uh, you have to listen to that's, the Yeah, that was the first, that's the first uh, part. I'll, I'll send that over to David. Um, brilliant, Rav. Okay, that was fantastic. I think we're seeing you. Spend the time with you all. We're really seeing you in a couple it. of. We're seeing you in a couple of weeks' time, I think, and then um, we've got a new series with you. Uh, we're going to be going through Sephardi principles, but through Teshubot. So, so the next time that I will see you, it will be. I think uh, so. I'm going to check. I'm pretty sure it's in. Uh, no, I, I've got to double it will check. definitely be after Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Next so week I wish everybody we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bet Midrash. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to rate and review. Have a wonderful day.